You're listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. My name's Robbie. You know that. Um, my full name is Robert Christopher. Um, my parents were going to name me after my father, but my father's name was Bobby Joe, uh, which in the mountains is actually a, typically a female name, not a male name. So my dad had, held, had had two older brothers, and I think his mom might have picked out his name before she knew the gender, um, which was unfortunate for him. And then, uh, so he grew up going by Bobby Joe. Um, and then when he and my mom got married, there was discussion about me name, naming me after my father, but she didn't want to name me Bobby Joe, and so she wanted him to kind of officially change his name to Robert Joseph, which initially he had agreed to do, but then I guess he backed out uh, from that because he didn't want to hurt his mom's feelings. So instead of being Robert Joseph, I became Robert Christopher uh, because um, I'm exactly sure what Christopher means, but it does have the word Christ in it, and that seemed appropriate for my uh, mom, uh, lover of Christ, perhaps. Although she kind of treated me sometimes like I was the chosen one. Um, so nice for me, maybe not as nice for my sister, I'm not sure. Um, but my parents, uh, I didn't know this until kind of late, later in life, but the first week or so, they actually called me Chris. Like that was the plan, that they weren't going to call me by my first name, but by my middle name or a nickname thereof. And my mom's mom came to visit, and she called me Robbie, and it just kind of stuck. And so it's been with me kind of all these years. When I was in high school, I did have a, a chemistry teacher who tried to change my name. She thought Robbie was just for little boys, and so I should go by Rob. And so she called me that for a while, but that, that never stuck either. Uh, so I have been, and I guess will forever be, uh, Robbie. And I think that is what the Lord calls me. So that when I pray, when, when God thinks of me, I suspect that he calls me by my name. And the same goes for you. That God doesn't just think of you as generically some person, but that God knows you, that God loves you, and that God has called you. I'd like to kind of start our discussion today with uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. And we're actually going to just look at the first nine uh, verses of chapter 1. Paul writes this, Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those in every place who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that has been given you in Christ Jesus. For in every way you have been enriched in him, in speech and knowledge of every kind, just as the testimony of Christ has been strengthened among you, so that you are not lacking of any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end, so that you may be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. By him you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, when we think about the New Testament epistles, these letters that were kind of written um, from kind of to churches, we might think it, it a, a bit atypical to preach a sermon on just the, the kind of salutation, right? Just this kind of greeting. Like, can't you just get on to the, the meat? Certainly there's something the apostle had to say that's important besides, hello, I'm Paul. And this is coming from me and our brother, Sosthenes, and greetings. You know, it's kind of the pleasantries uh, that come about. But I think um, there's actually quite a bit to learn from what Paul is saying here. And we shouldn't kind of read over it uh, too quickly. First is that Paul is called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. This isn't a self-designation that Paul chose for him, right? This is something that happened to him. Paul is called. It is, we can't just kind of choose to be, right? It's that God is kind of doing something here. And then he also says this, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified, called to be saints. So that not only is Paul called to be an apostle, but those in the church are kind of called to be saints, to be, to be holy ones. So, I mean, I know a lot of you might be unfamiliar with kind of the various denominations that are around us these days, but I grew up in a a denomination called the Church of God. And so when we read this passage of Scripture, it says, to the Church of God that is in Corinth, we're like, oh yeah, that's our people, right? He didn't write it to the Baptist Church in Corinth. He didn't write it to the Presbyterian Church in Corinth. Yeah, just kidding. But uh, I do teach, you know, locally at a college, and that college is affiliated with the Assemblies of God. So I do like to point out to those students that Paul did not write to the Assemblies of God in Corinth. (laughs) Just kidding. But it's true. (laughs) Now, you might think, you might ask yourself, well, am I called? Am, Am I part of this group? And... And I'm going to say, yes, you are. That sometimes, again, when we read these letters, we tend to go one of two ways. We either like to say, well, that's just historical. You know, that's back there. That's this particular Corinthian congregation, which for the most part got a lot of things wrong. Like the Corinthians messed up a lot. I mean, you should read the rest of the letter. They're not actually known for getting things right. They're kind of known for for getting things wrong. But, but it says this, it says, To the church of God that is in Corinth, and to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those in every place, uh, who in every place, call in the name of the Lord, both their Lord and ours. So it seems like Paul is not just addressing this to kind of one particular group, or if he is, he's, he's saying, 
I'm called to be an apostle, and I'm writing to you who are called to be saints in Corinth, and to you, everyone, everywhere, who call upon the name of the Lord. So if you've ever called on the name of the Lord, if you've ever cried out for help, if you've ever uh, known the Lord to be faithful, then the letter is also for you. You, us, are the ones who have called upon the name of the Lord. We are the ones who are, are called to be saints. So I actually, when I write, if I'm, if I'm addressing a group of people, I'll often address it, dear saints. Now, it doesn't mean, saint here doesn't mean someone who is kind of hyper-holy. You know, someone who kind of always gets things right. But the, the holy ones, their holiness is rooted not so much in their kind of moral fiber, but in Christ. Because this, this is who we truly are. Like Paul will say elsewhere, it is not I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. Or he'll say something even more radical. He says, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. To die is gain. To live is Christ. It's not I who live, but it is Christ who lives within me. This is some pretty radical statements. I mean, in what way would Christ live in me? In what way would, would death to be, to be gain? This is kind of a, a deep spiritual, and I might say kind of mystical relationship that God has with us. That God is in us, is close to us, knows us, and loves us in ways that we don't even fully comprehend. So if I ask, my question, if I ask the question, who am I? There's lots of ways that I might answer that. I'm the pastor at Oasis. I'm a professor at Southeastern. I'm Angela's husband. I'm the girl's father. I'm, you know, so-and-so's friend. I'm Suzanne's brother, right? There's lots of ways I might answer that. But my, my true self, my deepest self who I'm made to be, and it's more than just who I'm made to be, it's who I actually am, is who I am in Christ. I am called by God, and that calling makes me and shapes me. Now, there might be times that I might not be my best self. <laughs> there are certain things that I do. There are certain perspectives I hold. Uh, sometimes I struggle with that, and Paul will speak of that too, kind of not doing what he wants to do and doing what he wished he didn't do. But that, that whole process of kind of living, that process of what the church is sometimes called sanctification, right, is just that. It's a process. It doesn't, neither adds to, I think, nor distracts from our truest identity. And that's who we are in Christ. And that's what we're being called to. 
And so part of what I want us to walk away with today is that all of us are being called. All of us are being called by name, by the Father. And that calling is to live a life. And that calling, as we, as we faithfully step into it, will open up, I believe, to something much grander, much more than what we first kind of anticipate. In fact, I think that's exactly what happens even to the divine servant in Isaiah. The, a passage of scripture that gets paired with 1 Corinthians 1, 1 through 9 today is this passage from, from Isaiah. It's an interesting one. Uh, let's, let's read it, and we'll, we'll talk about it just a bit. This is Isaiah 49, I think it's 1 through 7. Listen to me, O coastlands. Pay attention, you peoples from far away. The Lord called me before I was born. While I was in my mother's womb, he named me. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow in his quiver, and he hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely my cause is with the Lord and my reward with my God. And now the Lord says, who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the sight of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, is it too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise? Uh, it is too light a thing, excuse me. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and restore the survivors of Israel. I will give you as a light to the nations that my salvation might reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nations, the, save, the slave of rulers. Kings shall see and stand up. Princes, they shall prostrate themselves. Because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel has chosen you. When that passage opens up, it sounds to me like it's referring to the Hebrew prophet. Like the prophet's the one that's chosen. The prophet's the one that was known in his mother's womb. The one that's, you know, been named, you know, ahead of time. That's been called. That's is supposed to speak. But before the story's over, the prophet gets referred to as Israel. Almost to say that the prophet's just not functioning individually, but the, the prophet is kind of representative of the whole nation. But as it, talks to, when, as it starts to talk about those ways in which, you know, the prophet is rejected and despised, it is common in Christian circles to read these passages from Isaiah, not historically talking about a Hebrew prophet, but rather Christologically, that is talking about Jesus. And I think that's exactly how we should be reading it today. And it is that part which I think kind of smacks of this shock, this, this kind of uh, broader and more open future 
than what he could have possibly anticipated. The strange part, I think, is actually in verse 6. So it it opens up, you know, with with the prophet speaking. But in verse 6 it says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the survivors of Israel. Too light a thing? Are, Are you kidding me? Like, that has to be the most difficult thing ever. Like, the, the, the northern kingdom has been utterly destroyed. They've been wiped off the face of the planet. We don't know where they are anymore. The southern kingdom has been laid waste, and they're in exile. The idea that somehow God would come and make things right, that he would... He would find the descendants of these tribes and he would pull them back together to kind of make them a nation. If, if, if the prophet, if the chosen one who would come could do that, it would be miracle of miracles. I mean, who could imagine such a great thing? So think of it like this. You imagine your best future So five years from now, if you thought the best possible future for me five years out, what would that look like? What would it look like in terms of your relationships? What would it look like in terms of your finances? What would it look like in terms of your physical health? What would it look like in terms of your mental health? If God chose you and called you and was making some grandiose expectation in your life. For the chosen one, that would be bringing Israel back together, reestablishing the land, having it. And he says, that's, that's not enough. That is too little. It is too light a thing that that should happen, that my servant would raise up the tribes of Jacob and restore survivors to Israel. That's too little. What? Come on. He says, I will give you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. That is, God wasn't just sending the Messiah to save this ragamuffin, beat up, few tribes left over from the nation. God was sending the Messiah to save the world that Jesus in his life, as he first steps into it and he kind of acknowledges his role, everyone's expectation, while there are lots of different expectations, the thing that they all share in common is that it would deliver Israel. But as it turns out, it wasn't just the delivery of Israel. That was too little a thing. It was going to go much broader. In fact, it was going to go universal. It was going to affect everyone, everywhere, at all times. So tomorrow we celebrate um, Martin Luther King Day. I think it was last Wednesday, I believe, was his actual birthday. And I think King is a good example of someone who faithfully stepped into a calling 
only to realize first that that looked bigger than what anybody could possibly do, but then that what God was calling to him was calling him to was actually much broader, much wider, much more significant than even that. So, you know, King was well educated, PhD from Boston University. Uh, turned down a teaching post at Harvard. Not many can, people can say that. Um, you know, pastored in Montgomery and then later in Atlanta. And while he was a pastor full-time, he's known, right, for his civil rights activism and his message of a beloved community, that our community should be based on love and therefore... Things like segregated water fountains and bathrooms and restaurants and schools and buses are out of bounds. I think that is a huge message, a message that seems unobtainable and unbelievable, a message like the message to the character in Isaiah that says, you're going to bring Jacob back together. Only for God, I think, to say to Dr. King after his message of a beloved community, mm, that's not enough. <laughs> a beloved community is too little a thing. Like, we actually need something more. We, we, we need you to go out to all the nations. We need you to go, kind of go out to all the aspects of life. See, King ran into a lot of resistance. And even today, he's been kind of popularized in such a way that uh, he's kind of been a bit domesticated. I mean, he was a bit of a, he was more of a, a lightning rod in his time, really. But with all of his work towards civil rights, and it, again, it, it ran into all sorts of, of opposition. He wasn't at a civil rights event in Memphis when he was shot. He wasn't arguing for desegregation of buses or bathrooms or schools or churches. King had realized that what God had called him to was not just what he initially stepped into, which was a beloved community, but was something more than that, which he would then towards the end of his life, and he only lived to 39, he called a beloved economy. That the beloved community is a beautiful vision, but it will never experience any, any sort of sustainability unless that, that beloved character affected not just the way we thought about each other, but the way we spent our money, right? The way we structured our society. And so that's why King... Had, had issues with the way the Vietnam War was taking place. Amongst other things, a disproportionate number of poor folk and people of color uh, being utilized. When he's in Memphis, he's there helping organize a protest for the garbage collectors. Garbage collectors were not of one particular race or another. But garbage collectors were in a particular socioeconomic class. 
And so he's there speaking to the justice of how that would work. You can say we should, you know, all get to ride the same bus or we should all get to attend the same restaurant. And that can get you beat up and that can get you jailed. But you tell people that we should all pay the same money and that'll get you killed. I mean, it did him. And I think his example, which is wonderful in a lot of ways, it's not a matter of kind of moral support, superiority or kind of ethically always making the right choice. It's a matter of having an ear to what God is calling us to and then also being prepared that what God is calling us to is something more than what we've imagined. It's, it's out there. It's great. It's, it's wonderful. It's like what Christ did. That he's called to be the Messiah, which means anointed one, king of Israel. But it turns out that he's not just the king of Israel, he's the king of the world. And so for us too, I think our callings will work much the same way. You'll find yourself, as you're faithful to God, experiencing things that you never actually planned for. Years ago, Angela came to me and she said, hey, I think we should uh, foster care. And I'm like, by we, you mean who? <laughs> I'm like, I don't think that's right for us. And then, you know, it was three or four years, five years later, she's, she's still got the itch, right? She's like, I think we should foster. And I'm like, I don't think people like us do that. I'm like, we, we're poor. Yeah. I mean, we, we hadn't been off food stamps that long. I mean, you got to have it together a little better, don't you? And so about five years later, she's like, hey, I think we should foster. I'm like, nah, the kids are the wrong age, right? So finally, we had a neighbor who, who recommended to her that she should become a guardian at litem, a volunteer in the foster care system. And that seemed perfect, right? Because then she could go out and help those kids out there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, hey, that works for me. So she's been doing that for, I don't know, a decade, a little more. But then you know the story. The story is, she called me three years ago, a little less, little, oh, how am I doing? A little more than three years ago. And she says, hey, we've got these two girls. They're going to get split up. I don't think it should happen. We should bring them home. I'm like, oh, okay, that'd be fine. Right, I thought it'd be for like a month, you know, maybe two. <laughs> I was wrong about that. <laughs> I, I stepped into a calling that I was tentative and unaware of. And no sanguine stories here. It's difficult. It's hard. There's some brokenness. 
And now we're all broken in various ways. But we have to have faith and trust and hope that the same way that God called Paul and God has called us to be saints, the same way that God called the Hebrew prophets and in particular that one divine servant, Jesus of Nazareth, the way in which God called Dr. King, God calls us to. He calls us by name. He invites us to come into the community. He invites us to announce our identity with him in baptism. This is why we're baptizing on February the 9th, because this is the way in which we announce to the world that our identity is with Christ. We identify with him. He's our guy. We're his people. And then we, that, and then we also identify with Christ when we come to the table. Those are our two big practices. The baptism, which is kind of a once and for all, and the table, which we do again and again and again and again. Because every time we come to the table, we remember what Christ has done. Every time we come to the table, we hope in what Christ is still yet to do. Every time we come to the table, we should hear our name called by the host of the table, who is the host at the table. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.